Thanks, Paul. Steph, now I know why that, you like that vision because it says women are wicked. <laughs> I heard someone say, what? <laughs> this is wickedness. <laughs> uh, men, we don't sin, do we? No. <laughs> uh, yes. Let's pray. Our Father, you tell us to be on about religion that is pure and faultless. James 1.27. And that not only involves helping those that are truly in need, but also not being polluted uh, by the society around us. Please help us to realise what that therefore involves, and please help us to live our lives accordingly, therefore in a manner pleasing to you, in a manner that reflects pure and faultless religion. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well. Uh, we uh, are getting there. Uh, today we are looking at vision number seven of eight. It's about a woman in a basket rather than a man in a bin. <laughs> but it could as easily be just about a man and a bin. And it's about a lead lid for the basket and how two women fly away with it and place this basket miles away. And so it makes complete sense, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it's a vision, but it does make sense when one remembers the previous terrifying vision. Yes, it does make sense. Now, changing the subject, uh, but time will no doubt show that we are not changing the subject. I found something that others have told me uh, to be completely true. And what is it? We are sometimes almost blinded, that is culturally blinded, to obvious areas of sin. That's what others have told me. And I found that to be very, very, very true. Others have told me things like this, that some countries, that is their culture, are all about saving face. And so when one becomes a follower of Jesus in those countries, one is so used to saving face and therefore lying in order to save face, that's quite hard to change that. I would add that's quite hard to sometimes even notice it. And still others have told me things like this, that some countries are so poor that stealing is simply a way of life. And so when one becomes a follower of Jesus in those places, one obviously needs to change that, change that aspect of one's behaviour. But it's hard to change it. And I would add that's also quite hard to even notice it. As you know, I am now a world traveller. <laughs> and in my visits to Africa, that is Kenya, Tanzania, and recently Rwanda with Craig, all of this seems to me to be so, so, so sadly true. Uh, last week's message from Dan on vision number six was actually all about lying and stealing and how God will wipe it from the face of this earth one day, let alone wipe such people who do it from the face of the earth, so we had better wipe it beforehand from our lives. 
but it's hard to do, especially if you're from one of those particular countries. No wonder, therefore, that it is not by my might, nor by my power, but by his spirit, Zechariah 4.6, because it's usually just too hard for one's flesh to simply do. But the context here in Zechariah was not about life in those sorts of countries. It was about life in Babylon. After all, some of them had lived there for the whole 70 years, whereas others would have known nothing but life there. They were a Jew, yes, but they'd been living in Babylon for a very long time. For many of them, their entire life. And so picking up on what others have told me, it's so hard to change what you're used to. For example, when I've been in Africa, I've asked local Christians there, Craig knows this, as to what they think of Western Christians such as those from Australia. Therefore, as to what might be our so-called blind spots. And they've told me over and over and over again the same three things. They say we cry out poor, but we are very wealthy. They say we claim to be holy, but we are very worldly. And they say we claim to be struggling, but we are in fact very comfortable. Yes, too wealthy, too worldly, and too comfortable. Well, I suppose I did ask. (laughs) Interestingly, they didn't say anything about stealing and lying. Now back to the text. We have here a woman in a basket. Now cities were usually built by men back then, but cities are grammatically, if you know them, feminine when one describes them. And so I'm guessing much the same applies here as the Hebrew word for wickedness, verse 8, is also feminine. And therefore it is a woman. Certainly not that men don't sin. (laughs) As I said, it could very much be about a man in a bin, not a woman in a basket. But grammatically, just like a city, it is all feminine. Let's have a look at what we are told. Uh, We're looking at uh, Zechariah chapter 5, and I'll read verses 5 to 8. Verse 5. Then the angel who was speaking to me came forward and said to me, Look up and see what is appearing. I asked, what is it? He replied, it's a basket. And he added, this is the iniquity, literally appearance. This is the iniquity of the people throughout the land. Then the cover of lead was raised and there in the basket sat a woman. He said, this is wickedness. And he pushed her back into the basket and pushed its lead cover down on it. So this vision seems that it is so far all about what the previous vision was about. But it's very general this time. 
rather than specifically mentioning stealing and lying. The word, a female word, wickedness, is very general. Just like iniquity or appearance is very general. One gets a picture of a basket of sin representing all the evil of the world and it is sealed by a lead lid. I guess no doubt representing how nothing will escape. That is, get out of this basket. Sin, that is iniquity, that is wickedness, will be a goner. At this point, Steph, I don't mind this vision. (laughs) It seems that God is going to do something with the sin of the world. He gathered it all together, put it in a basket, put a very heavy lid on it. Question, what's in the basket? Answer, the iniquity or the wickedness of the world. Yes, I like it when God actively does something like this. It's good when God finally gets rid of the cockroaches. Isn't it, Edith? (laughs) Isn't it, Lucy? Isn't it, Hazel? Isn't it, Dan? But I keep saying it's probably the most important word in the Bible, but (laughs) in saying that, let's move on. We're now looking at verses 9 to 11. Let's see what happens next. Verse 9. Then I looked up, and there before me were two women with the wind in their wings. They had wings like those of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. Wow. This is quite significant. Where are they taking the basket? I asked the angel who was speaking to me. He replied, to the country of Babylonia. The Hebrew word now I need to mention is Shina. Same place. Actually, the same Hebrew word in Genesis 11 is even translated in your Bibles as Shina. Same word. You could say this is the Tower of Babel stuff. Revelation 18 stuff, representing the world in opposition to what God is building, his kingdom. Yes, he replied, to the country of Babylonia to build a house for it. When the house is ready, the basket will be set there in its place. And so although it's a little bit cryptic, it's not too hard to understand if one has some knowledge of the Bible, And not too hard to understand when one starts following Jesus. God is going to do away with sin. Once and for all. He's going to take it all away himself, just like we're told, on wings of a stork. And between heaven and earth, and then dump it at the appropriate time. Well, set it in its place in a house, and some translations say temple, like an idol. I'm sure the world will strangely love it. But I'm sure it might start hitting home with some of the Jews as they knew all about idols. After all, they had been in Babylonia, a place full of idols, for 70 years. And they were there because God was sick and tired of them trusting 
in idols rather than trusting in him. And so he banished them to Babylonia, Shina. You could say idol heaven (laughs) for a long period of time, for a generation or two, 70 years. And all of this reminds me uh, of how far God has removed our transgressions from us, just as far as the east is from the west in Christ Jesus. Psalm 103 verse 12 and the New Testament. But all this also reminds me that we might have some idols too. After all, we live in Babylon, don't we? That is the Western world, don't we? I think in summing it all up, there are at least two things that I would like to highlight for us that come out of this vision. Yes, two things for us today. And what are they? The first is this, and it picks up on the previous vision. We see the direct association between sin and people. What do I mean by this? Well, I mean that we tend to say today that we must separate the sin from the sinner. And I understand that, but I think we get it wrong at times. Dan's sermon last week on that terrifying vision, vision number six, reminds us that there is a direct association and therefore not to separate sin from sinner. That vision told us that everyone who swears falsely will be banished. That vision also told us that every thief will be banished. It doesn't separate sin from sinner. They are the one thing. We therefore must own our sin, not separate it from us. Our sins belong to us. One's sins have been committed by oneself. Hence, we need Jesus. I remember having this very chat with someone about it. They said something like, but 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 to 10, you'll, you'll all look it up now. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 to 10 are all about loving the sinner but not the sin. And I said, I do get that, but 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10 is all about the wrongdoer. It's about the person themselves. Such a person, yes, person will not inherit the kingdom of God. At this level, one cannot separate the sin from the sinner. There is such a direct association. If one continues to sin, one will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that is why we have such scary verses like Hebrews 10, 26 to 27, as Dan mentioned last Sunday. And that's also why we have scary visions like the one we looked at last Sunday. Now, the second thing is this. We also see how things of the world need to be left in the world. And what do I mean by that? Well, God removed it, didn't he? He put wickedness in a basket 
sealed it up, it went up between heaven and earth and was then removed to a place a long way away. That would have meant a lot to those who returned from Babylon. What is worldly needs to stay in the world. Worldliness is not meant to belong to God's people. That is part and parcel of our culture. Our culture, like our father, is to be, and you said at the beginning, Steph, holy. Simple. They weren't to bring back with them from Babylon, no matter how familiar they were to it, the unholy things of the world, no matter also how attractive they might be. The holy things of the world are, in fact, to a holy God, wickedness. Some translations state that the house is a temple and this is an idol that one likes to worship. Yes, despite sometimes being very attractive, worldliness is a basket case. (laughs) And why? The Lord is holy, 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 Isaiah 6.3. He's not worldly, worldly, worldly. After all, what, seemed, what, what sent God's people to Babylon in the first place was their worldliness. And so God is saying, don't bring it back. God is in the business of cleaning. God is the greatest cleaner of all time. He will one day, at the appropriate time, we're told, remove, purge, Wickedness once and for all. It's no place, it has no place ultimately, and it is no place especially for God's people. They need to learn from this exile and leave such things behind. But at one level, it must have been a little hard for God's people to even notice such worldliness as they would have been so used to it, wouldn't they? Like, (laughs) who here is under the age of 70? (laughs) Most of us are. And so most of us have known nothing else but living in the very much so Western world. And if you're over the age of 70, as our dear friend Monica would tell me, you're probably thinking, beam me up, Scotty. Because the world has changed so much these days. It's become more and more like Babylon. And we've seen it all and we don't like it. And if you're under the age of 70, you might be even thinking the same thing. (laughs) But the point is, just as the very reason for the exile of God's people must not become the way of life for God's people, 
so too the very reason for Easter must not become the way of life for Christians today. I'll repeat that. Just as the very reason for the exile of God's people must not become the way of life for God's people, so the very reason for Easter must not become the way of life for Christians today. Stealing is out. Lying is out. Being stingy with one's wealth is out. Being worldly is out. Not ever suffering for being one of God's people is out. All those things belong to one's earthly nature, not one's born-again spiritual nature. And all those things can also become idols. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed when push comes to shove are idols. Colossians 3, 5. And because of these things, and we sung it in the first song, because of these things, God's wrath is coming. Colossians 3, 6 also, and last week's terrifying vision. And yet it can be so subtle at times, so bit by bit at times, that before you realise it, we, God's people, are sadly getting described by some as too wealthy, too worldly, and too comfortable. It's no wonder we are told in the Holy Scriptures, do not conform to the pattern of this world, Romans 12.2. It's no wonder we are told in the Holy Scriptures, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. 1 John 2.15. It's no wonder we're told in the Holy Scriptures, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God, James 4.4. And it's no wonder we're told in the Holy Scriptures, keep oneself from being polluted by the world, James 1.27. And I'd add, it's no wonder we have chapter 18 of Revelation. And I would also add, it's no wonder we have this vision. So are you, am I, too wealthy? And am blind to it? Or do you, do I give generously and sacrificially to his kingdom? Are you, am I, too worldly? And like it that way? Or does zeal for his holiness consume us? Are you, am I, too comfortable? And so when push comes to shove, always take the easier option. Or are we prepared to stand up for him no matter what the cost? Friends, we uh, must take this vision to heart. We must be courageous. Don't let what is wicked win. Push it back by his spirit into the basket. After all, God 
in his zealous love for his people, has already done so once and for all in his Son. Amen. Thank you. Over to you, Steph.